You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. So we're in the middle of this series on gifted, and uh, I've received several questions about how do we put this into practice, or uh, certain theological questions about it. And so Today's sermon is going to look a little bit different than ones in the past have, and it'll look a little bit different than next week's does. So, uh, so bear with me. But we have a lot of stuff to cover, and I want us to look very practically at once you know what your gift is or you begin walking down that path of understanding, hey, here's my spiritual gift, or maybe for some of us, we're like, man, I've, this has never even been on my radar. And that's one of the main reasons we're doing the series is because for most of us, it's often not even on our radar. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at some of the real practical nuts and bolts. And so if you're a note taker, uh, if, uh, this would be a great spot for you. Uh, as we go through some of these particular gifts, we're going to be talking about um, how we use these specifically in this local church body. Uh, and then we're going to be looking at some of the things that um, maybe the shadow side of some of these giftings, like if you're not pursuing Christ and using these giftings. And so if you're a note taker, when we get to the one, you're like, hey, that's mine, or I think that's mine. Feel free to write those things down. Like, here are some specific things. The goal of this morning is not to do a, a theological treatise on spiritual gifts. We've done that for the past several weeks, and we'll continue next week to even look at the uh, ramifications and implications of these. But today, as we look at several passages that we've already looked at, what I want to do is say, let's, let's answer the practical questions, some of the things that we've already looked at, and here are some real clear and easy and necessary next steps for you as an individual and for us as a church. Uh, I'm not a baseball fan. Uh, I prefer uh, football, highest, basketball, playoffs, NBA playoffs, but then baseball. We went to a baseball game uh, this past week. We took the boys there. And, uh, and it's, it's fun to, to, you know, to kind of watch once or twice a year. It's really cool. Uh, but if you notice, in the NFL draft was this past week, and, and my boys keep asking me, hey, who did Drew Brees get? Who did, who did Patrick Mahomes get on his team? They don't care about the Falcons because the Falcons are terrible. But I still watch them every single week. But I'm, so I'm still a Falcons fan, kind of a homer. Uh, that's why they call them fans, short for fanatic. It doesn't really make sense that you cheer for somebody. Some of you all are right there with me. You understand. Uh, so, uh, but if you look at the different types of players, the different athletes in those sports, you can easily recognize a basketball player because they're tall. I'm about the same height as Stephen Curry, and I'm taller than most people in here. But on the basketball court, he looks incredibly small. So you see basketball players like, that dude plays basketball. You see a tall girl or a guy, you're like, do you play basketball? If not, you should be, okay? Um, you see a football player, uh, and they're just, they're just jacked. They're enormous, um, most of them. And they're at least tall. You, you think about like Tom Brady. He's about an inch taller than I am, which you're like, man, he doesn't look that big on the field. That's right, because his offensive line, they're all, you know, 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", 400-pound guys. <laughs> like, they're enormous, but you see a baseball player, and oftentimes you're like, eh, they don't look like anything special a lot of times. Like, they look, I mean, a little better and more in shape than most of us, um, most of them, unless you got some pictures. But, uh, but they, look, they, they look really normal, really average. In fact, one time, several years ago, I was at a steakhouse, nowhere even that nice. Um, but it, I was up in Atlanta. I was up in Alpharetta. And, uh, and I, Chipper Jones walked by our table, and I said, wait. That'll like chipper. 
And it took me a second. Now, if it was, uh, I'm trying to think, I don't even know who the Hawks have on their team. We'll say Dominique Wilkins, okay? Uh, so a little throwback. Uh, but if it was Dominique Wilkins walking by, you'd be like, that dude is tall. I bet he plays basketball. Chipper Jones walks by. Was that Chipper Jones? So I ran outside. I actually introduced myself. I said, hey, you're Chipper Jones. He's like, yeah. Like I had to kind of like just verify that he is. And this is back in the day when, I, when he used to be on the Braves. So I had to check with him. So I met Chipper Jones. No big deal. Um, and now we're friends. We hang. I'm just kidding. Uh, I said, I just want to say I've met you. That was it. That's what I say to famous people when I see them. I just want to say I've met you. So the body of Christ is like that. We're not like, we don't look like a, a basketball team. We're not all super impressive. We're, we're not like a football team. We don't walk in and like, man, that dude's a Christian. That, no, we're baseball players. We're really normal, ordinary people. But here's what I want you to see this morning. We are an ordinary people with a supernatural power for extraordinary purposes. We are an ordinary people with a supernatural power for extraordinary purposes. Here's where we've been in this series so far. All Christians, we've covered these, these five truths. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. So some folks are like, hey, what all Christians have the Holy Spirit. And this is a life of being filled over and over again. First Corinthians, if I'm going to look at some passages um, quickly right here at the beginning. And so it's going to feel like a Bible drill. Uh, and that's okay. Um, we'll, we'll be in the New Testament looking at these things. And then the rest of the sermon is going to be extrapolating these things that I'm reading. Okay? So if you have your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. We'll be there primarily. We'll look at two other passages for a second. But 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7, it says this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Real quick. <laughs> um, if you're like, hey, this is new information to me. I haven't heard 1 Corinthians 12 preached on yet. Uh, Caleb, one of our pastors in, in McDonough, he's going to be here next week, and he's going to be uh, preaching through 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. Also, if this is maybe new information to you, if you want to catch up on the series, you can find that on the podcast, online, it's all there. And so I'm kind of going at this with, hey, let me, let me kind of pull you along, but here's the next step in this. And so if you're like, I missed a couple of steps, man, we'd love for you to listen to that. It's there. So we're, we're marching forward. Uh, it says uh, in verse number five, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I think about this like an Oprah moment. It's like, you get a gift and you get a gift and you get everybody in here gets the gift. So if you're sitting there and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit. You do. Everybody gets a car. Everybody gets a gift. Now for most of us in that over moment, we'd be like, I kind of prefer a car. And that's because we don't understand the power of the gifts, which is really sad. The second thing that we've seen so far is that all Christians have gifts from the Holy Spirit. So not only do we have the Holy Spirit, we have gifts from the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 12, we saw this a few weeks ago. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not ha all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let 
us use them. This is the supernatural purpose. If prophecy in proportion to our faith in service, uh, if service, then in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see here, and we have throughout the scriptures, a few lists of gifts. He says, if you go back to 1 Corinthians with me in chapter 12, and we kind of left off here, but he says here in 1 Corinthians 12, hopefully you're still holding your place there, verse number 8, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, how many Spirit? One. We keep seeing that. That's the common thing, is there's one Spirit, many members. One giver of gifts, and we started the series with that, and there's many ways of expressing the Spirit through the variety of gifts. Verse 10, to one another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretations of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And if you jump down to verse number 27 in that same chapter, he says this, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. When we look at this, we see there's one spirit. But here's what I want you to see. If you think that your spirituality is boring, it's because you are a spectator of what the spirit is doing. God's purpose for you is not for you to be sitting back watching what he is doing. His purpose for you is for you to be on the field participating in what he is doing because you're empowered by the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So we see here that all Christians have gifts from the spirit. The third thing that we've seen so far is that a healthy body needs all of its parts functioning well. We're gonna stay right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're like, why'd you skip that middle part? Because I wanted to use it right here for this third piece. Verse number 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, So it is with Christ. For in how many spirits? One spirit. We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So so right here, uh, Paul is talking about this thing that we celebrate each and every week in communion, which we're going to celebrate in just a few minutes. He's like, man, this is a reminder that we're all one. Verse number 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. Anybody lose your smell recently? <laughs> Maybe in the past 12 months or so? 
maybe in the past six months, hopefully not in the past couple of days or weeks. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He keeps going. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we should bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The body takes care of itself. When I'm hungry, I don't, I don't just tell my brain. My brain doesn't say, make, peer, make, make food appear in my stomach. Or let me take this hunger pang and just mentally, cognitively reason it away. There's no reason that I should be hungry. And then poof, my hunger is gone. No, my brain says to my feet, get up off the couch and walk to the refrigerator. But then when I get there, what has to happen? My hands have to open the doors of the refrigerator. And whoa, you know. Hopefully there's a beautiful chocolate and peanut butter cake inside, which, praise God, there is right now. But that's not where the process stops. My eyes have to locate the cake. I take the lid off the cake with my hands. My nose functions in smelling it. It's delicious. Now my eyes are bigger than my stomach, and so I cut a piece that's a little too big. But then the process is still not, it's not even done. I have to use my hands again and my arms to put the cake in my mouth. And then my mouth has to chew the food. And then the digestion process begins. And it has to, like, every part of the body is used. And it's because I needed, maybe an overly used word in this scenario, but I needed that piece of cake. I was hungry. So my stomach told my brain, here's what I want you to do. And my body functions to help with my hunger pain. When God wants to take care of the body, when he wants to accomplish his mission with us together, he uses each and every one of us. And we're here this morning, which is fantastic. But some of us, you're like, man, this is about as far as my commitment goes to the local church. And I would say, if you're not really a part of community, then how are you supposed to be a member of this body? This right here this morning, this is barely community. If I saw my wife once a week and I was like, hey, just checking in. You want to hang out? You want to go grab lunch at a Zaxby's? And we'll be there for about an hour. And most of the time, we're not even going to talk to each other. We're just going to people watch. But, uh, but you're good. All right. See you next Tuesday. That's not how a relationship functions. And so if you say that you're part of a community, but you're like, man, something's lacking. Yeah, we're feeling that just like you are. As a body, we're called to be part of community because that's how God is to care for you and that's how God cares for others here. Pride, self-sufficiency, individualism is the root of all sin. The fourth thing that we've seen in this series, and we saw this last week in Ephesians chapter 2, but a spirit-empowered church will be naturally supernatural. In other words, the spirit's work should be normal. Ephesians chapter 4, this is the last passage we'll look look at. 
Ephesians chapter 4 says this, beginning in verse number 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What's the purpose? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried along by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, not by the primary joints, every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The goal here is maturity. The goal is looking like Christ. If you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a mature believer. I don't, I don't need that. Man, maturity is looking like Christ, and Christ requires his body. The, this last part, uh, and I, I put this under my, my recap section, but we're going to be looking more at this in the next two weeks, is there is true unity and diversity True unity and diversity. So that's the outcome. Uh, and as we look at those things, be reminded that true unity and diversity are only possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. With each one of these passages that I just read, consider 1 Corinthians 12. What comes next? Well, 1 Corinthians 13. So what is 1 Corinthians 13 about? Love. You can watch secular TV shows and they read 1 Corinthians 13 at, at weddings or when they're talking about love because... Everybody knows that chapter. So the result of us working together in 1 Corinthians 12 is for us to love each other. You can see the same thing if you keep reading Ephesians chapter 4. He says we should be loving each other in unity. The same thing in Romans chapter 8. If you keep going, he's in the very next verse, like in verse 13, he says, now here is love displayed. Here is love poured out, love for each other. So the result of all these is going to be unity and diversity. A couple of questions uh, that I've received so far, and I'm going to hit these real quick, and then we'll jump into these gifts. First, can your gifting change or leave? And I would say, and several folks have asked this question, uh, yeah, I think giftings can change. I was, I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, man, five years ago, what are the giftings that I needed? What are the giftings that I required? How had, what was the Spirit leading me and guiding me in? We see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy, he says, to fan the flame of the Spirit that is inside of you. And so, Here's what the other side of that is. If Timothy does not fan that flame, what's that flame going to do? It's going to die. The same thing is true in this body. If you're not exercising those gifts, if you're a muscle, you're not exercising that out, that muscle can go into atrophy. It can shut down. It can stop functioning. So I think we can. Uh, I love cheese, any type of, any type of cheese, but mainly um, like some semi-soft cheeses. I like putting those with crackers. What I like even more than eating the cheese is just buying the cheese. Okay, and so if you go in my, in my refrigerator right now, I'm like, I got a drawer almost full of cheese. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I really want some of that, but, but if I eat it, then it's going to be gone. We, we shouldn't be hoarding the spirit. We do that. We're like, ah, I'm going I'm to wait until I want to enact on what the spirit. No, the spirit can't run out. Don't hoard it. Let it flow through you. Second question I've gotten from several folks. Do spiritual gifts always align with natural abilities? And I would say sometimes, so sometimes they don't at all. Shana was telling me a couple weeks ago, 
uh, after one of my sermons, uh, thankfully, which is always super encouraging. But she said, the first time I ever heard you preach was uh, probably early 2000s, late, ni- late 90s. Probably, yeah, probably had to have been early 2000s. And uh, I was preaching at a, at a different church for our youth group, and I was one of the students there. And she said I preached something in Hebrews, Hebrews 11. I have no recollection of this. So, um, but I preached through Hebrews 11. She said when, when I got done, she thought, it's a good thing that he loves music. And I said, thanks, babe. I really appreciate that. And so then I pursued music because she told me to, which is basically the, what I do with my life. Somebody's like, hey, I think you should go in that direction. All right, I'll, I'll go do that. Uh, but years ago, if you had said, hey, do you want to stand in front of people and, and teach and preach? I would have said no. And people who listen to me would be like, no. And some of y'all would be like, I understand that. And that's okay. But our giftings can change. Here's what we know is that our giftings, when expressed properly, are going to result in three things. And we saw these things last week. First, the common good of God's people. So if your abilities and spiritual giftings align, that's great. If they don't, here's going to be the result of spiritual gifts, whether or not they overlap with your abilities. But it's going to be uh, the common good of God's people, evangelism of the lost, and ultimately the glory of God. The next question that I've gotten is, what if I get burned out from using my gifts? You may be working outside of your gifting. You may be. Um, There's a... (laughs) I was reading an article this past week, and they were talking about burnout. And they said, very few people get burned out because of working too hard. Burnout actually comes from unrealistic expectations. You set them so high, and you can't reach them. And we'll talk about that a little more in just a a minute. But for spiritual gifts, we have to understand where we fit, keep working hard. And if it's like, man, this is, I'm not experiencing the joy of the Lord in this, then try something else. We saw it last week in Galatians 6, right? Take hold of a different opportunity that may be right there in front of you, and there are plenty. The last thing is, how is our church gifted? And so I'd like to go through, and uh, we're going to put on the screen each person's giftings that we ranked if you took this. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Uh, some of you are like, oh, shoot. Some of you are like, I didn't take the test. Well, that's your first mistake. Okay, here are the top three gifts that I saw um, in, in the test that we've taken the past few weeks. And if you haven't, please do. I think this is, uh, this is incredible for us to see. Uh, but the top three that we have at South Point in order, first one is shepherding. Uh, the second one is serving. And the third one is administration. So shepherding, serving, and administration. And we're going to talk more about those in just a second. The bottom three, (laughs) this is not positive, right? Because I've got a little bit of prophecy in me. Uh, But uh, the bottom three were evangelism being just like bottom of the barrel. As you think about these, think, oh, that kind of makes sense. What do I value? Where do I see that? Also think most churches, most organizations, um, they attract folks that are like the leadership. So I think about my dad, who is in Colorado today uh, with my brother, and uh, the chosen one, as we call him. But uh, (laughs) my mom will listen to this. She won't tell my dad. He can't find the link, but it's okay. Um, But he's primarily a shepherd. He walks with people gently. And so that's that's why I think when I look at these, the, the church leans that way, and people are attracted to that where our church forever has been weak is in evangelism. The second one where we're weak is exhortation, just positive, encouraging somebody. When I think, man, what, what does burnout look like? It looks like an, um, uh, an, a lack of encouragement. And so if you were at the partners meeting last week, we talked some about Chris Brown and why he's you know, stepping down. And I feel terrible for Chris because I'm just like, man, if he had someone exhorting him, 
more than two or three people exhorting him, would he feel that burnout to say, man, you're doing a great job. The third thing, the third lowest was actually prophecy. So that's where our church ranks. That's where we are. Now, some of you are like, well, yeah, but it's up to the spirit. Absolutely. But I wonder if we're being faithful to listening because right now we're like, oh yeah, we'll just blame it on the spirit, blame it on God. But a month ago, and I asked several folks this, I said, hey, what are your spiritual gifts? We had no idea. I don't, I don't really know. Or maybe it's this or maybe that. We, we, can't, we can't blame both those things. We can't blame ourselves for being ignorant and blaming God for not giving us those things. I'm going to lean more toward the former ones of those. And so I would say, let's make sure that we're not just leaning towards particular giftings, but let's make sure we're listening to the Spirit. So here are the gifts. I want to walk through these. I'm going to do a couple of things. My dad, uh, here in Locust Grove, several weeks ago, he went through and just kind of described them through these same passages, and we've talked around them a little bit since then, but I want to give a a brief recap on what these are, um, and then I want to talk about how these are um, incredibly functional at South Point. So if you're like, hey, I have that gift, here's your next step, is particularly, probably, possibly in one of these areas. I ran these by a couple of our other pastors and got some feedback from them. I was like, hey, where do we, do you, do you see some of these things? Like, am I, am I missing something here? Is there anywhere else? And they provided feedback and I worked that in right here. Um, but then we're also gonna talk about, like I mentioned, kind of the shadow side, maybe the weak side of these giftings. The first set of gifts that'll be on the screen and again, you can take a picture of these or whatever. These are not, um, this is not an expansive. I'm not going to hit every single gift that we've even read about this morning. Some of you are like, hey, what about the gift of tongues? You can come ask me my, my, my perspective on the gift of tongues. These are the ones this morning that I know for sure are still at work here in Locust Grove in 2021, okay? Now, all of those things are, are disclaimers. So if you're like, well, you don't believe the tongues never exist, Listen to my disclaimer, okay? Locust Grove 2021. So uh, the, the first that I have up here on the screen are leadership gifts. And if you want my notes, you're like, man, you went too fast. I didn't catch that. I printed off a few extra copies so you can read these. Uh, the first one under leadership gifts is administration. We saw it in 1 Corinthians 12. And to administrate literally means to steer a ship. This is somebody that likes spreadsheets, okay? Um, this is someone who is detailed, which God ordained, by the way, a ton of detail. Uh, this is someone who would be especially helpful with church plants or with uh, trying to figure out how do, we, how do we get somewhere? How do we create a mission around a particular vision? At South Point, here's where we need those folks. We need serve team leaders. We need serve team leaders like crazy. We need volunteers in kids ministry to help admit. I was just up there a few minutes ago and it was just a, I mean, it was a zoo because folks are like, hey, you know what? I'm going I'm to bow out today. I, I'm, or they're just like, hey, I'm going to bow out and not tell anybody. And I realize kids get sick, uh, and that's okay. Um, but, but when folks are just like, hey, you know what? Somebody else is going to fill that. Man, let, let's find some administrators and help with that. Uh, in life groups, this would be food preparation, administering who's going to get the food there because, uh, by the way, the, the life group host, and which is also oftentimes the leader, that's just a lot of work, especially on that lady who's there. And so if you're like, yeah, I've got an administration, if I don't want to use it, in a life group, if you're not part of a life group, that's your first step. And so uh, as a life group uh, taking care of food or prayer requests, Here's the shadow side of administration, so be wary of these. They can be pessimistic without an 18-point plan with bullet points and subpoints under those. And so sometimes it takes a little step of faith. They, they can become critical or expecting too much of someone. 
I may be speaking from personal experience. I'm not sure. The second one there under leadership is actually the gift of leadership. We saw it in, in Romans chapter 12. This is a person who has a picture of a place to go and the ability to influence others to go with you. In other words, some folks are like, hey, I want to be a leader. Turn around and look and see if anybody's following you. If not, then, eh, then you either got to work on that or, or maybe that's not where you're supposed to be. You're multi-talented often. You like to move things forward. At South Point, this I think would actually tie in with maybe some of the evangelism gift. We need folks to engage new people to our church every single Sunday morning to say, man, here's where you are, here's where you can be. We need folks to engage people. We need ministry leaders. We can begin new ministries. Again, we need surf team leaders, especially on a parking team. It's, sometimes it's just chaos and not everybody can get out from out here. And I've been asking folks for... Um, well over a year, a year and a half to head that up. And, and like, man, that's important. Being in the parking lot is potentially someone's first encounter with the body of Christ. You're like, well, that's a little extreme. I, we'll talk about it. Take me out, buy me a burger. That's fine. I'll convince you. With the Bible, by the way. DNA group leaders uh, would possibly have the gift of leadership. Uh, we need more life group leaders. We need help scheduling teams. Here's the, the shadow side of that is you can be too much of a dreamer. People can't keep up with you. You're impatient. You fall into self-importance. You can be some of the most hurtful people when you're not honoring Christ. The third leadership gift that we've seen is, is apostleship. We saw it in a couple of our passages. Now, my dad mentioned this a few weeks ago, but there's a difference between capital A apostle, which is someone who physically saw Jesus, which are his disciples plus Paul, um, and a lowercase apostle, which is someone who is sent. That's it which we would say, man, yeah, we've been sent. But there's a particular gifting that's mentioned there uh, for apostle. This would be someone who is a good networker, someone who can create new movements. Oftentimes, these are folks who go serve overseas to go into an area that's especially dark, spiritually dark. And man, let's just forge through the darkness with the light of Christ. At South Point, we can begin new ministries. Folks have great ideas sometimes. Hey, here's what, here's what, often it's not, here's what we should do, but it's like, hey, Michael, here's what you should do. I'm like, all right, awesome. Let me know when you want to start. And then two years later, hey, why haven't we done this yet? <laughs> Here we go. Let, let me know when you want to. I'll put it on the screen, you know. Uh, they, they, we need people to begin new ministries. We need new life groups. We need new DNA groups. Here's the downside of that, of that gifting sometimes. They can be disconnected from community power hungry, and they want to surround themselves with important people. The last leadership gift that's on this list, and, and by the way, these, these, these lists of gifts, these groupings, I have three groupings, are not in the Bible. These, those are arbitrary, okay? The gifts themselves are, are in Scripture, but I thought it'd be helpful for us to kind of look at three different sections. The last one there is shepherd, also known as pastor, overseer, and elder. We are called to all shepherd each other. So you're like, well, I'm not a pastor, so I can't be that. We're all called to shepherd each other. Me and my wife shepherd our two boys. Eventually, we're going to need to shepherd and care for my parents when they, get, when they can't take care of themselves. I help shepherd and lead and care for my neighbor with real tangible things because she's an older lady. So we're called to shepherd and to care for each other. So this is not just the official title role. This is also can be a gift for anybody, anyone in the body. We're called especially to nurture each other's hearts. That's that shepherding role, and that word nurture happens to be 
DNA. Discover the word, nurture each other's hearts, and then act accordingly. At South Point, uh, we need more homes for life groups. Uh, we need older women teaching younger women. We need older men teaching younger men. We need leaders in student ministry. We need more folks to lead DNA groups. So those are the leadership gifts. The second group I have up on the screen, if you want to take a picture of these or whatever you can, are the enabling or the speaking gifts. And we've talked about these in 1 Peter chapter 4 the past few weeks. But the first one that I put is, is one where South Point is especially weak, and that's evangelism. Again, we saw this in Ephesians chapter 4. Evangelism is spreading the good news. Now, we always often tell people what's good news to us. We did it this morning in our conversations. Um, some of you are like, I'm not even sure what you're talking about right now. But when I was talking about the Falcons or the Braves, you're like, yes, that's good news to me. And so we latch on to things that are good. Uh, for some of us, some of y'all, uh, CrossFit is good news. Like you do that. And after talking to somebody for like 45 seconds, you can usually tell that or essential oils or something like that. Not saying those things are bad, but oftentimes those things are the best news that we want to tell somebody. We all are called to evangelize the lost. And so if you're like, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't have to tell anybody about Jesus. No, the gift of evangelism is someone who is especially good at hearing someone's story and saying, man, let me tell you how the good news of Jesus can bring hope into your story. Let me tell you how you can especially repent of your sin and follow Christ. So this is someone who has more of that, kind of like shepherding. Like we, we understand that. For most of us, we don't understand evangelism. For South Point, we need to evangelize our neighbors. You're like, I don't, I don't know, I don't have time for evangelism. Where do you live? Where do you work? In our life groups, are we evangelizing the lost and inviting them in? Are we holding each other accountable in DNA groups? Some folks are like, man, let's go, let's go preach on the street. I'm like, all right, let me know when you want to do it. Oh, well, preacher, we got to wait on you. No, you don't. No, you don't. Go, go preach. Go knock on doors. Like here, here are opportunities in front of us. Work at the connect table upstairs so you can find out where people are spiritually and then help to guide them, tell them about Christ. These folks are oftenly overzealous, oftenly, often overly zealous, which can kind of turn people off sometimes. They can be wrapped up in marketing something else. Sometimes we can use people rather than pointing them to Jesus. The next gift, gift there is teaching. And we saw this in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. The, the Christian faith is beautiful. It's good news. But sometimes it's confusing. And so we need folks to help us break that information down. At South Point, we have kids ministry. And you're like, well, you keep mentioning it's kind of the same kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. We don't do a ton of stuff. <laughs> well, we don't offer a ton of things. And some of the things that we have on the table, I'm like, hey, let's get rid of that. Like, this is not helping us to accomplish the mission. But we have kids who need to be taught. Um, DNA groups is a great place to help teach and break information down for folks. If, if you're in a life group, which you should be, uh, we need somebody to help lead. And that teaching is not just me telling you. To me, the, the most essential part of being a good teacher is being a good learner. Listen. Listen to folks and help guide them. It's a whole lot it's going to be way more effective. It's not going to be easier. It's going to be way more effective for you to understand information kind of on your own and me just say, hey, what about this? What about, let, me, let me put these, these breadcrumbs in front of you. That takes a lot more effort than saying, here's a loaf of bread. Either believe it or don't. No, if I put bread, it's like, I, I don't know where you're starting from, but let me, let me lead you there and help you to see that. Where this can go poorly is if there is no, no uh, training in being taught. Or you blame the lack of application on the listener. You're like, well, I'm just a great teacher, but nobody's doing what I tell them to do. All right, 
there's no care for the action of the audience. Real quick, if you have the gift of teaching or if that's where you're leaning, James 3 is a huge warning. James 3 doesn't warn anybody else, no other gifts, but he warns teachers that you're going to be judged to a double measure. The next one there is the word of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 12 says the word of knowledge, not just being head smart, but facts that can be utilized for others. This is where, I mean, having facts about the Bible, when I was a kid, I won Bible bowls because I was forced to memorize facts. Those are good. Am I using the facts for myself or am I using them for the sake of others? A great place to do that is in DNA groups and life groups. The downside of that is that you can uh, be like, man, I've, I've got more knowledge than other people. Oh, you don't know the, the, the Bible trivia game answers? Man, ah, I don't know how spiritual you are. Maybe you've got the gift of knowledge and you can retain those facts. The next one is the gift of wisdom, which is applying those things. There's mercy in conversation. A good place for that would be South Point. Uh, for South Point would be the connect table. This would be for a life group discussion. You're listening and trying to help lead in God with words of wisdom. The next speaking gift there on the screen is prophecy. And prophecy literally means forth teller. It's pointing out sin in people's lives. Some of you are like, boom, good. With the goal of repentance. Ah, I'm more of a truth guy. <laughs> All right, well, Jesus was truth and love, so let's be like him. South Point, this is a great place to do this, would be DNA groups to say, man, here's an area of sin that I see in your life. Repent of that. It would be the same thing in life groups. It would be justice endeavors. And so a, a food pantry, delivering food on Thursdays is huge. You get to go in and deal with people and say, man, you're not part of a body? Come connect, be part of the body. International missionaries going and serving with Mark Lewis, going to Kenya, calling people out, saying, here's the truth. In our personal lives, someone who has the gift of prophecy, I think they would spend time weeping and praying over sin in the body. And so you're like, well, this is an, an enabling, a speaking gift. Yeah, but how are you using that gift alone for the sake of the body? We should be praying for those who are in sin. The next one there is, uh, real quick, the, the shadow side of prophecy would be never looking at their own lives. You're judgmental to a fault. You're just out looking for demons. You're looking for the bad in someone else. The next one there is exhortation. Again, one that I wish we were higher in as a, as a church body. And that word exhort means literally to plead with or to encourage or to appeal. These are high energy folks. These are almost like cheerleader type people. These are how-to people who don't mind walking with someone step-by-step step through a process. Now me as a, as a teaching person, I'm just like, my, my tendency is to, here's the information, take it or leave it. Like, here it is, either obey or not obey. Uh, how-to, people are like, hey, I don't teach guitar lessons. I've never had guitar lessons. And so some of you are like, we know. Uh, but I, I couldn't teach guitar lessons. I've had 100 people ask me that in the past probably five years. Hey, can you teach my, no. I don't want to walk with someone step-by-step step through this. It's too tedious. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we should be able to and willing to do that. If you have the gift of exhortation, uh, a great place to use that would be, again, in DNA, in life groups, to walk easily and carefully with folks, to walk with kids in kids' ministry. And for some of y'all who do serve in kids' ministry, you don't know the impact that that has on my, both of my kids. They come home and they're telling me these things and, and I'm piecing them together and I'm not, I'm not jumping in, well, that's not actually the uh, Hebrew interpretation and the translation of that word. No, I want to walk with them. And for some of y'all who walk carefully, man, it's, it's encouraging. Serve teams, is a great place 
for you to serve at South Point because you can meet new people and walk with them step by step. Here's our kids' ministry. Here's where our coffee is. Hey, come sit with me and my family. Let me encourage, here's a step-by-step cheerleader. Bring them on, meeting new people on Sunday mornings. That means you can't show up at 1022. The downside of that would be that you browbeat people uh, and that you push them a little too hard. Sometimes you speak a little more quickly than you listen because you're trying to be encouraging. The next one there on the screen is discernment. This one's kind of dicey. It's always fun. People are like, what do you, what, uh, I don't know, just find a definition. I'll probably agree with it. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. I don't, I don't have a great definition for this. But here's what the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul literally says, distinguishing between spirits. On the surface, something seems right, but it's just like, man, something is off on this. That doesn't mean you're a demon hunter. <laughs> if this is a spiritual gift, it's just like, man, supernaturally, the spirit is enabling you to identify some sort of something that's off, a weakness in someone's life, or, man, I don't know if this person has the best intentions. I would say your next step in that would be to come and talk to one of your pastors. Talk to your life group leader. Get that confirmed. And so we together as a body, we need these folks, but we also have to be careful in this. Spend time in prayer if you have the gift of discernment. The last one there is the gift of faith, which George Michael told us that all Christians have faith. So uh, like this, it's not like, hey, do you have faith or you don't have faith? We, we all have faith, but this is an extra amount, an extra dose of faith. And so faith is, man, God is going to do that. God is able. We believe that he's going to. At South Point, we need folks to spend time in prayer. We need folks, you need to be encouraging those in your life group, listening to their needs, reminding each other of how good and great God is in a DNA group. We need folks at the connect table who are, who are engaging with folks who are searching. And man, God is so able to do this. If you've ever had a small injury in your body, you understand how bad that can throw you off. Because some of us are like, man, I just want, I want to be out in front and, and you know, I want to be on stage. Like, show me how to be leadership. Show me how to preach. I want to do that. And we have folks who come in, and we've had folks who have left who have been like, man, I, y'all didn't give me the chance to preach. I'm going to go do my own thing. Like, okay. Like, I get it. And I told y'all several weeks ago, like, be, being up on stage in front of folks, like, there's, there's something magnetic to certain people about it. But the greatest in the kingdom is not who's on stage the most. We just read that in Romans chapter 8. We just read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That, that's not what this is about. Because I would say the greatest in the kingdom is going to be the one whose works we never saw. When we think about who's going to be closest to the throne of God, it's, it's not going to be Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or your great grandma. Like it's, it's going to be someone that you've probably never even heard of. And so lest you think that you must be on display for people to see how great your gifting is, know that that is a demonic lie from the pit of hell. We are all called to serve the body in a variety of ways. If you ever had a, anybody ever have an ingrown toe, like in a small toe? I have, it stinks. You can't walk, you can't function. It's, it's there, it's so small, like you can't even see it. If you could, you would fix it and either clip it off or dig your eye. That's gross, I know, but it's small and it hurts. When the smallest part of the body is not functioning properly, the body does not function well. We all have a role to play. The last section that I put in my notes is that the gifts that everyone loves. <laughs> so you're like, okay, well, I really want those, but just understand these are gifts that everybody loves. The first one is giving. I especially love this uh, since my paycheck comes from the church. But, uh, but giving, 
this is, man, this is, this is incredible. Like right now, if you were at the partners meeting last week, you saw where we are financially and God is continuing to bless us with resources and we're continuing to figure out how we can best use those for the kingdom. But someone who has the gift of giving, this would be finances. This would be time. Everyone is required as part of the body according to the scripture, to give both of those things. But this is a person who finds extra joy or delight in giving. At South Point, we need money for weekly efforts to pay our pastors to some of them. Some of them don't get paid anything at all. Most of them don't, which is fantastic. We have to keep the lights on and the air on. And the heat. Like there are just things that we have to do. A mortgage here, a mortgage at McDonough. There are also kids who want to go to camp. And so uh, there are missionaries who are serving around the world who need playgrounds and who need more buildings built. Those are the ways that we can give. The bad side of that, the downside, can be enabling someone too much instead of actually doing that to help them grow. The other downside of that is, hey, man, I gave this money, so can I get my special seat here, my special parking place? I don't really know if I agree with that. Just so you know, one of your biggest givers, and I'm like, I don't know, so thanks for telling me. Um, but we can use that to be manipulative. The next one there is helping. This is a general gift. There's nothing really specific to this. You just show up where you're needed. But help is often, or always, it's relational in nature. So it's not just, hey, let me do these things, but it's relational. At South Point, we need folks on every serve team. Some folks serve a ton. And we need folks to help ease that burden. We need folks to, to greet new people on Sundays. Again, it means just getting here and hanging out. You're just here to help. During the week, if you're available, give me a call. Go knock on doors. We need people uh, who are general handymen with tasks around the church building. Like there's just, there's constantly something to do in a building that's 115 years old. There's always something. Maybe you have the gift of helping. The next one there is, is serving. You enjoy meeting the practical needs of the church Serve teams. If you see a need, find a solution. If you were walking in this morning, like I was, and you saw trash in the parking lot, like I did, go pick that trash up. If you see something, you're like, man, this, and here's the thing. People walk in, you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. That's not the gospel. Sure. But if people are like, hey, man, if they're not going to take care of trash in the parking lot, are they going to take care of my kids and kids ministry? You ever been there? Like, ooh, these bathrooms are disgusting. I, hold my hand. We're getting out of here. We do that at places. So if you see a need, find a solution. My wife has the gift of serving. She's incredibly hospitable. We, we have folks over to our house, except for collide nights when we're here with students, uh, our DNA night, which is Tuesday night, uh, but each of our DNA groups meet that night, uh, Monday nights when we have life group. The other nights of the week, we have somebody to the house almost every single night of the week. We were counting a couple weeks ago. Somebody asked me, they said, they said uh, how many people have you had at your house so far this year? And this was, you know, maybe the middle of April. And I said, I don't know, maybe 40, <laughs> you know, like 40 events that night, 40 families, something like that. Maybe, maybe, not, maybe at least, I mean, at least 30. I was just like, man, that's, how, many, how many free nights are there in the week that we have? But that's because Shannon is hospitable. She brings folks in all the time. Somebody asked me last week at the partners meeting, how many times have you been invited over to somebody's house in the past five years? I said, maybe five. They said, no, 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 you're, you're one of the pastors. I said, no, our people are incredibly hospitable. And so then Shannon walked up. I was standing upstairs in the kids' room. Uh, and, and they asked, I said, ask Shannon. We haven't, talk, we haven't talked about this ever. They said, how many, how many times did you say in the past five years? She said, ah, 
five or six? <laughs> she said, well, less than 10. And I thought, yeah. Is it, is it difficult to invite those folks over to your house? You're like, oh, well, the past year was COVID. Oh, sure. <laughs> and some of y'all have been to my house since then, and maybe even during COVID, and that's okay. Are we trying to figure out if we have the gift of serving, or we're just like, ah, I don't serve, so I don't have the gift. You have to serve to find out what are the opportunities that are there in front of you. And if you need tips on hospitality, by the way, go ask my wife. There's a book in the bookstore right now on hospitality. If, if you, I mean, we were at somebody's house a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was actually the person who was asking me about this. And man, we walked in, there was music on. They had meal, the meal almost ready to go. He had texted me earlier in the day and said, hey man, bring some jackets. We may sit outside around the, the, bon, the uh, fire pit. I'm like, man, that's, that's great planning. That's incredibly hospitable. Thank you for telling me that. Everything was, it was, it was delightful. If you need help with that, man, get help. Because that may be your gift and you're missing it. At South Point, we need folks on serve teams. We need people to host a life group. We need hands-on ministry volunteers and kids with our AV team, with our food pantry. These are ways that you can serve. I think about hospitality. A couple years ago, I was walking through um, Ingalls with both my boys. They were a little bit younger. So they were both in the buggy. And I say buggy because I'm a redneck. And so they, we were walking through the buggy and I was in the, in the produce section. And I kept looking over in the cheese section where I was about to go. And I kept seeing this, this couple and I was like, Man, them folks are eyeballing me a little heavy. And, uh, and they were kind of tatted up. I mean, you know, uh, you know, yoked. I was just like, this is, this is that, that woman could take me really easily. And so I'm just like, you know, looking for my celery and, you know, looking for my kombucha bottle. And so I'm just like, man. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I turn around, and they're both standing right there. And I thought, it's over. I'm done. And they said, do you preach at South Point? I said, sometimes, I don't know. Uh, South Point, I never heard of it, you know. This is before I had the I Love My Church shirt. I'm like, South, South, so they said, okay, we were at your church a couple weeks ago. Man, it was, it was great. We love seeing you there. And, uh, it was really cool, but I said, hey, you want to come over for dinner? I called my wife. I said, hey, I've got a, this couple, and I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know if I should give them my address or not, but they're coming over for dinner. What does Shannon do? Say, okay, that's fine. All right, what time? Like, that's it. We see people out. Just invite them over, man. Hey, that's community. Mercy, the, the last one here, the gift of mercy. This is having care and compassion, walking with people who are in sin, empathizing with people who are hurting. This, is, this was the, I got the lowest score of the whole church on any category ever. Mine was in mercy. <laughs> so nobody got a lower score on anything except for me in mercy. But I see my dad, who's incredibly merciful. And I don't say, man, I don't have mercy, so forget it. I ain't going to do it. That's not my natural inclination. My natural inclination is towards sin. But I know that even having mercy is still what we're called to as believers. I don't make an excuse for where I'm weak. I want to grow in Christ's likeness. But some folks have a special gifting, spirit-enabled gift of mercy. This would be new folks walking in. A, a person who has a gift of mercy is someone who's easy to talk to. I talked to somebody last week, and they're like, I'm an introvert. I don't really want to talk to people. Okay, so find another introvert and then talk to that person who's walking in the door. And the way that you're going to do that is by talking to someone where they walk in the door. Extrovert is you find your energy from people. I'm not that. I'm often labeled as that. Introvert is you find your energy from being alone. It doesn't mean you don't like people. 
So we have to understand the, the definitions there and not make excuses for the way that God has wired us or the proclivities for sin that we're naturally a part of. And so if you have the gift of mercy, you may be great just talking to people as they walk in the front door because you understand how it feels to be new somewhere. And you can identify with that person even in your introvertedness. You're like, man, uh, it, stinks being, it stinks going in somewhere. It may stink for that person. And so go with the power of the Spirit and talk to that person. Working in the food pantry, an incredibly merciful area. Working with older folks, my, my mother-in-law who's not here this morning, she sends, I didn't know this for a while, but she sends care packages to our college students. And I didn't hear about this from her. She wasn't like, oh, well, I guess I gotta go, you know, stitch some more stuff or whatever she does, I don't know. Um, but she sends, and these college students are like, yeah, I got a package from Barbara the other day. And I'm like, man, what a gift of mercy that nobody's ever gonna see. She's going to be a whole lot closer to the throne of Jesus than some of the folks that we watch on television because of her gift of mercy. Are there other gifts? You're like, man, this is this a lot real fast. I get it. Some of y'all have more questions. One of the questions I've, I've gotten so far that we've gotten as pastors is, are there other gifts? I, I think so, probably. And that's because we don't, like the, even the list of gifts are a little bit different from each other. None of those are exhaustive. You can look at the Old Testament and you can see where some guys had the, the gift of music, which may be the gift of leadership being personified in music. And in fact, the first person that we see in Exodus, I think it's chapter 13, uh, in chapter 31, it says that the very first person that was filled with the Spirit was the guy who was helping to build the temple. <laughs> like he, was, uh, he was a construction worker. That's the first time we see it in the Scripture is someone who is out working with their hands. We are an ordinary people with supernatural power for extraordinary purposes. This is the reason that we all look a little bit different, that we've all been gifted a little bit differently. This is the reason that we come together as a body. Every single one of us is necessary to function together. I wonder, we've been a church for almost 15 years, August will be 15 years, and I wonder how many of those years that some of us have gone through not even knowing what our spiritual gift was. I, I would venture to say a lot of us. That's why we're doing this series right now. I don't want to say a year from now, a month from now, a year from now, 15 years from now, look back and be like, yeah, you know what? I know they preached on that, but uh, it didn't really make a huge impact in the life of the church. We have kids, children, students, co-workers, neighbors, family, parents, grandparents, older folks all around us that need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you as a member of God's one body cut out and equipped to do to help us engage those folks? There was a guy named Dizzy Dean, and he was a pitcher uh, back in, in the 20th century, early 20th century. And he stubbed his toe. One, one time there was, a, there was a guy, hit a line drive, went off of his toe. One, one of the greatest pitchers in baseball history. You can go back and look at his stats. Probably would have been just, I mean, the, probably maybe even the greatest pitcher ever. Well, uh, when he was early in his career, a, um, uh, a batter lined a ball off of, his, off of his toe. He had a stubbed toe. And so it messed up his delivery. He couldn't land just right. So then what happened was he changed his delivery. Like it was just kind of a natural thing to make up for the pain of his stubbed toe. He didn't even break it. His toe was just stubbed. Well, then his delivery started changing some. Then what happened, his shoulder wasn't used to it. He ended up throwing his shoulder out. 
he couldn't pitch anymore, and he had to retire early, not because of his shoulder, but because of his toe. Even the smallest member of the body makes a huge difference. Our church is only as strong as our weakest link. And I would plead with you to not be the stub toe of South Point. You're like, man, that's kind of mean, kind of funny. If everyone in our church was engaged and involved to the same level that you are, what would this church look like? We were ordinary people. We've been empowered by the Spirit for His purposes. If you have your communion cup there, there's two pieces to it. The, the first is the bread. And as you hold that, I'll tell you, we can all eat the bread together in just a moment. The same way that the apostles did with Christ, they ate it together as one. They didn't have these. They also didn't have COVID. But like this bread and juice, which are which is an ordinary means of grace. This is very simple, very common. We do it every single week if we're believers. I got these on Amazon. You can go get a box of these. These are very ordinary things. But just like this bread and juice, these ordinary, this ordinary means and our ordinary gifts point us and point others to Jesus. These represent the broken body. Christ's body was broken for us. That's what that bread represents. So that we could be made one with him. His body was torn apart so we could be unified with the creator of the universe and with each other as his body. That's the beauty of the bread is that he identified with us in his life. He lived perfectly almost 2,000 years ago to the point of death. Then he crawled up on a cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed. It was poured out so that we could be made one. But that's not where the story stops. They put him in the grave for three days. And on the third day, on Sunday morning, which is why we meet on Sunday mornings. I had somebody this past week, they said, well, that's not really, they were, we were talking about something else. And they said, well, that's not really in the Bible. I said, what about meeting on Sunday mornings? Like, we, we, like, nobody has an issue with that. But the reason we meet on Sunday mornings is because that's when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Not by himself, by the way, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says that the Spirit raised Jesus back to life so that we can be unified. And then Christ went back up into heaven to be with his Father, where right now he's making intercession for us, his people. Hebrews doesn't say he's making intercession for you as an individual. It says he's making intercession for us as people. So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, this bread represents our unity with Christ, and it also represents our unity with each other. And Jesus told his disciples, he said, take this and eat it. The next part there, this juice, represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us to give us access to the Father. We have access to the Father. We are indwelt with the Spirit, and we have the opportunity to serve Christ as the head of our body. So this blood, which covers us, reminds us not of a duty to Christ, so that we can earn his favor, but the opportunity that we have to serve him 
by serving others, by evangelizing the lost so that Christ is glorified. So as we drink this juice, be reminded, be encouraged of what Christ has done for you and what he promises to do in you. He told his disciples, he says, take and drink all of it. Father, you are good. You have been gracious to us. We as your people here this morning, I pray that we would not be lax in our faith, that we would not be lazy in our commitment to the things that you have given us to do. I pray that we'd be reminded of who we are in Christ. Father, I pray that we would find great joy in the purposes that you have given us as your body. I pray for those in this, in this room this morning and those uh, watching online, those who call South Point home. I pray that we would be encouraged to give ourselves. Life is so short. It's so short. We have but a small time here. James says, um, he says it's like a vapor. It's here one day and it's gone the next. May what we do be done for the sake of eternity. I pray now that you would grow us in faith. For those who have never placed their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, that they would do that for the first time. For those of us who have, that we would respond with lives of obedience. Send your spirit afresh, anew this morning to convict us of sin, to compel us to live lives that are pleasing for you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.